So we will be in 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 7 this morning. But as you're turning there, I want you to picture for, for a minute that you, as a believer, would go to a different church, or maybe let's call it a revival meeting. Let's say that a friend invites you and says, hey, come, there's, there's a pastor who's going to be preaching, and come to this revival meeting. I promise it won't be a waste of your time. And that traveling revivalist, he's a little odd, he dresses a little bit different, looks a little bit different, eats a little bit different, and you're like, this guy's a little bit strange. But he preaches a gospel-centered message on repentance and belief in Jesus Christ as the only source of salvation, and you're like, praise the Lord, amen, this guy is incredible. I really like this guy. And maybe for the first time, your friend's like, man, this, is, this, is changing my, this has changed my life. And you would ask the question, because you don't just sit idly by and take in information. You would ask the question, like the disciples do, like any good Christian follower, what shall I do? I've heard this gospel message. What is it that I shall do? And if he replied to you when you asked him that, what should you do? And he said, hey, if you have two coats, Share with the person who has none, and if you have extra food, I want you to give it away, likewise. Or maybe somebody else asks, a government official that's there, he says, well, what, what should I do? And he says, you know, collect no more than you're authorized to do. And finally, alas, somebody there that's been in the military, maybe they're in the ROTC, they're asking, well, what, what do I need to do? He says, hey, don't extort money from anyone by threats or false accusation, and be content with your wages, and you would sit there, right? You'd think, okay, I, I heard the gospel, a, a message of repentance and belief in Jesus. How is it that this person, who is this person who would be talking to me about money? Why would he reference money and possessions in every single response that I got? Something's not right. Yellow flags at, at best, right? But you know what's interesting, and then put it in today's terms, like let's say I preached the message, and you heard the gospel, and you came to me, and you said, well, what, what do I need to do, Aaron? I said, hey, well, how many pairs of shoes do you have? And you're like, well, which closet? <laughs> uh, and I'm like, get, get rid of half of them. Give them away. What about purses? What about purses? Oh, you had to go there. Yep, give away half of your purses. Give those away. What about TVs or cars or guns or what, whatever it is? If I said, just get rid of half of them, half of them, get rid of all of them. And you would sit there and you would just think, I, I asked what to do in response to the gospel. Why is he talking to me about money and possessions? And you know what's interesting about that is this is just a replay of Luke 3. I mean, this is John the Baptist, and this is his response to those followers and in every instant, you see money and possessions. It's a, it's a revealer of the genuineness of someone's faith, right? There's something to that that just has eternal consequence to it that's so important. You know, in fact, in the Gospels, one out of every 10 verses deals with money. That might, that might surprise you. Of the 38 parables that Jesus tells, 16 of them, 40%, deal with money and possessions. You've probably heard it said before, Jesus talked more about money than he did heaven and hell. You know, there's one, there's very few direct quotes from Jesus in the book of Acts in the early church, but Acts 20.35 says, it is more blessed to give than receive. That was the words of Jesus. 
Because what we realize and what we know is exactly what it says in Matthew 6, 24, right? Nobody can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You cannot serve God and money. So what we do with our resources in 21st century America, believe me, it is an important topic. And so this morning we're going to look through 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And we're going to see that, yes, tis the season to be giving. So let's start in, in verse 1. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own free will, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints, and this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you this morning completely dependent on the power of your Holy Spirit to have any level of transformation that through your word we may be encouraged and challenged to live a life of closer devotion to Jesus Christ. We desire a life of passionate holiness. God, we desire to look more like Jesus Christ tomorrow than we did today and that we did in the past. But we know that apart from your spirit, we can do nothing. And so this morning, God, I pray that you would allow your word to penetrate our hearts in a powerful way, that you would beat back any distraction, any spiritual forces of darkness that would love to snatch this word, dismiss it as something totally irrelevant, not applicable, or, Lord, that we would be encouraged and challenged by the truth of your word this morning. Help us. As we study this, give me the words to say that this may be communicated in a way that is uplifting and helpful, that we would be encouraged and, Lord, that we would be challenged to look more like you, particularly acknowledging that you gave it all for us. We thank you for this, Jesus, in your name, amen. So I'm a financial advisor with Edward Jones. So talking about finances and money and what you do with it, that's my nine to five. No big deal. No big deal. Talking about what the Bible has to say about your finances and what it looks like to be a biblical giver and biblical generosity is a significant task in the church today. But we are called to preach the full counsel of God. And so we are going to look. Now, what you need to realize here in 2 Corinthians is this is Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. His first letter was just a scathing rebuke to that church. And they were, he says in, in chapter 7, just preceding this, they accepted the rebuke. And he was thanking God for the repentance that they had in this. But he's also reminding them, hey, a year ago, you guys had committed to helping relieve these saints that have come to Christ in Jerusalem. 
And I'm coming back, and I, I'm, I'm reminding you of that, that we should complete this work. Now, what was going on in Jerusalem at this time? You figure all of these Jewish converts have descended on Jerusalem, Passover, and others, and they've lost everything. They can't go back to their houses. They can't go back to their families. They've lost everything, and they're gathering in Jerusalem, and they don't want to leave. They're just hanging on to the words of Christ and the disciples. And so the other churches in the area are like, well, we need to support these people. And so he specifically, in verse 1, he says, this has been given, this grace of God has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Now, the churches of Macedonia are the Philippians, the Thessalonians, and the Bereans. And what's interesting about those churches that you don't find in the Bible is not one single warning to any of those churches about being rich. Not one. Not like the Romans, not like the Corinthians. I mean, you go through all the letters and there's warnings to the rich. Warning, warning, warning. No warnings to these churches. And the reason why you don't have that warning is, look at the language in verse 2. Extreme poverty. Extreme poverty. These were Christians who were not doing well materially. In fact, Paul even uses the word extreme poverty. Now, here's the thing. There is not one person in this room right now that can say they are living in extreme poverty. Not one of us. In fact, all of us could say by the world standards, living in America in the 21st century, we are the most prosperous people to ever live on the planet. So if your first thought is, this is not a passage for me this morning, I am, this is not going to apply, this absolutely applies to every single person that's in this room right now. And if the expectation was that for them, oh, how much more for us today. But here, here's the thing about 2 Corinthians 8 that we have to understand is, this is a free will offering. This is an offering given above and beyond the local church body. So Paul's not writing him a letter and saying, hey, just kind of pause with what you're giving to your local church and we really want to support these other people over here. No, 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 no. This is above and beyond what they would be giving already. And in fact, if you look at the language and we'll go through it, he's, he's not even asking them. They're, they're actually asking him. They're begging him for an opportunity to participate in this. But these are Christians who are not well off. They're pilgrims that are still there. And, and he's, he's challenging the Corinthians and saying, I want you to know what's going on with this Macedonian church. That the grace of God has been given to them. Now, this is not a grace of salvation. This is an extra special grace given to them. This is not that they have to give this to earn salvation. Like, be very weary of that. That is not the correct interpretation. This is an extra season of grace that has been given by God to them that despite their extreme poverty, they have an abundance of joy. So the first thing I want us to see is the source of our giving in verses 1 and 2. It says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the church of Macedonia for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Notice who Paul highlights here. <laughs> it's not the Macedonian church. He doesn't say, hey, I want you to know how amazing they are. 
Those Macedonians, they're just incredible. They're super Christians. You guys are okay, but these guys are super Christians. It doesn't say that. It says, I, we want you to know the grace of God that has been given to them. The emphasis is on God. And the same thing would be true today, right? When we, when we bring before you stories of folks that have been faithful in giving, we do not do so with the intention of exalting the person. We want to exalt the Lord. We want you to see God is truly good. He has given them the grace. It has been given to those churches. Because what do we see here? It seems irreconcilable, right? A severe test of affliction. They're going through tremendous hardship, trials. You know, the use of the language is, is, is pretty startling, right? We see severe, not just a test of affliction. This is a severe test of affliction. But it says their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty. Now, now when you put those together, abundance of joy, extreme poverty. It's like, how are you you reconciling this? This seems irreconcilable. Abundant joy, extreme poverty. How are these things coming together? And what does it say? It culminates in an overflow of wealth of generosity on their part. Extreme poverty, abundant joy, overflow of generosity, only by the power of the gospel. You see, the reason they have joy is they know that Jesus Christ bankrupted him himself, right, so that you could be rich, that he took on flesh, died a sinner's death, completely bankrupted himself, and now we stand rich in the kingdom of God. That is the joy that's overflowing from these people. They understand that it's Jesus Christ crucified and that it's no work of their own, right? This is not a work of their own. This is only given. This is extra grace given by God to them, which seems completely irreconcilable. Because, you see, even today, guilt, shame, any type of motivating factor that I could put into your life or a spurring on, it will not be sustained apart from the transforming work of the Holy Spirit, right? The only sustained motivation for a lifestyle of giving is acknowledging and truly comprehending the transforming work of the gospel in your life. Until you understand what Jesus Christ has done for you, you will not be a faithful giver. You cannot. Martin Luther put it this way. He said, there are three conversions necessary. The conversion of the heart, the conversion of the mind, and the conversion of the purse. It's so true. It's just so true. It's amazing because you, you can see the genuineness of someone's faith with how they live their life in regards to their money and possessions. I encounter people every single day who are holding their money tightly. And I encounter some of the most godly people who are holding their money loosely, knowing that God has blessed me with this, and I want to be a blessing to others. 
you know, we get a warning in Revelation 3, right? It talks about the church of Laodicea. And what does it say? It says, I'm rich. I've prospered. I need nothing. Not realizing you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, naked. May that not be God's words for us. As we hold on to things tightly, we need to be reminded that it's the grace of God that that results in joy which overflows in a wealth of generosity. Second thing we see, verse 3, we see the sacrifice in our giving. It says, for they gave according to their means as I can testify and even beyond their means of their own free will, begging us earnestly. I think it's important that we pause and just think, Giving according to our means. All of us have heard of, most of us have heard of the tithe. Right? The tithe is one-tenth. It's proportional. Your tithe would differ from someone else's tithe. Now, the tithe is an Old Testament doctrine. We're not held under Old Testament law. We're free from that law, but Jesus came to fulfill that law. I've been asked the question, do you think when Jesus Christ came, he lowered the standard from the Old Testament or did he raise the standard for the Old Testament? He said, hey, if you look at a woman, that's, just, that's like committing adultery if you look at her in lust. If, you, or if you're angry with a brother, that's the same as murder. Do you think he would then say, I know it was 10%, but yeah, now if you can squeak 3% out, that would be really, really good. Oh, God, Jesus raised the level of expectation. Right, so the tithe could serve as a model and we can get pharisaical about that, right? All of us have been in a conversation where somebody's asked us, so do I tithe off of like my gross or my net, right? That's a frequent thing people will ask at times. I jokingly told the first service, like if you're asking that question, right, it's probably need to tithe off the gross amount, right? You know, we actually get this backwards and I see it so often and the studies reveal it, right? Only. 5% of Americans are tithers, only 5%. About 80% of churchgoers give 2%, and there's just so many that give nothing. You know, sadly, we've gotten it backwards, right? We, we instruct our children. I think about my kids and just working through them on how do you handle your money and your resources in a God-honoring way? And they would tell you, they were sitting here in first service, but they would tell you, we give we save, we spend. But I will tell you from experience that the world tells you to spend. If you have a little left, you save it. And if you're feeling really charitable and you have anything left, you give. And so we are so bogged down by credit cards and vehicles and other things that we had to have at the moment we had to have them. And God's like, no, that's, that's not how things should be. Give to me. You know, I remember listening to this. This has probably been 15 years ago. Malachi 3 says this, will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me, but you say, how have I robbed you? In your tithes and offerings, you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithes into the storehouse and put me to the test. 
if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is more need, no more need. I remember listening to a pastor say, show me another text in the Bible where God says, test me in this. Put me to the test. You can't find it. The only passage of scripture where God says, test me in this. Do this, try this and see. Test me in this and see if you don't have an overflow. Now time out. This is not the prosperity gospel. I want to be really careful about that. This is not a, you need great faith, give, and your cup will overflow financially. Material blessings await you ever, forevermore on this earth. We don't see that biblically. We, we don't. We see the disciples. In fact, was it Matthew 19? It's a powerful verse. You know, I am in the investment business. There is no greater investment than an investment in the kingdom of God. I mean, Jesus tells us that. Matthew 19, 29. Everyone, all of us, who has left houses, brothers, sisters, a father or mother or children or land, for my name's sake, will receive a hundredfold and will have eternal life. You want a hundred percent return on your investment? You have it. Right there. Now, does he say that you're going to receive that right now? No. No. But a dollar put towards the kingdom of God is the best investment that we could possibly make as believers. You know, a better question that we should ask, and this is, this is pretty convicting, is not how much should I give? Because I think we ask that. Like, how much should I give? What should I do? And that's a good question to ask. But I think... The question of how much should I keep is actually probably a more appropriate question to ask. You see, if we acknowledge that everything we have is from God, what is it you have that's not from me, right? 1 Corinthians 4. Everything that you own, all that you possessed, uh, that you possess is from God. Every good and perfect gift. The question then becomes, what should I keep? Not how much should I give. It's not, well, this is all mine, and I'm going to squeak out a little bit for the kingdom. It's more, how do I live my life with open hands for what God has, eager to share? Back to the text, it says, not only did they give according to their means, but they gave beyond their means. Wow. Talk about fiscal irresponsibility. I thought about that. Like, they gave beyond their means. Like, how irresponsible. How unwise. And then I thought, no, it's me. I'm unwise. You know, it would be different if the text said that they spent on themselves beyond their means, which is what we do. But can we truly give beyond our means? Like, the, the, the passages of Scripture, if you think about it, Luke 21 Right, the widow who gives it all. She gives everything. It says, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they contributed out of their abundance, but out of her poverty, she put in all that she had to live on. Or how about Mary in Mark 14? Right, she anoints Jesus with the oil. They estimate it's about $25,000. 
that's been anointed, and the Pharisees are just beside themselves. They're like, what an absolute waste of money and resources. But what does the gospel say? It says, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Jesus commends her. So we, we are called to give sacrificially beyond our means. Later on in 2 Corinthians 9, it says, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, but whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. This is hard for us to go begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. I mean, look at the language of their own free will, of their own accord. They, they weren't compelled to do this. They weren't forced into doing this. They weren't coerced into doing this. It's saying they, they were eager to do this. In fact, the, the word is begging. They were begging to help out for the relief of the saints. Begging. What would happen, this is funny, I just think about it, I'm like, what would happen if as a church we didn't say anything about giving at any point in time throughout the year, and, and I had people coming up to me just like, Aaron, we have got to give. We have got to give. It's just been too long since we've given. Like just begging to be a part of something. We're like, hey, we have these church plants that they need support. And you're just like, say no more. How can I help? What can I do? I mean, that, that is the picture that we see of these saints, of their own free will, saying even though they had nothing extremely impoverished, they're saying, how can we help? We are begging you. Because presumably, right, they wouldn't be begging out of nothing, Right? So, somewhere along the lines, someone was probably saying, guys, you don't even have enough yourself. What are you thinking? Right? Haven't you encountered this? 
I mean, there's certain instances where you think, like, like, don't ever stop someone from wanting to give their resources to the kingdom of God. I have found myself in this as a father at times and thought, how foolish that this person would want to give all of the money in their wallet to this particular person. I mean, like, by all means, help out, but you're literally going to give them every last dollar you have? And what I've realized is, by the Spirit of God, that is not a bad thing. That when someone is moved to do something for someone in a sacrificial level, it's the Spirit of God moving. I have a brother who's not a Christian. My brother is probably one of the most giving people that you would ever encounter. He was sharing with me recently, and he's not, so, he's not one of these people that's just like, hey, I'm great. I'm just doing all these things for all these people. Because I hear about these side stories from my other brother. and I mean, you've got to really be a little bit messed up in the mind to go to a sports memorabilia store and notice some homeless people outside that sports memorabilia store and just think, like, I come up to a homeless guy and be like, what, what jersey do you want in here? And the homeless guy's like, I, I want to, I mean, are you, are you serious? Like, yeah, yeah, totally. Bought him a Justin Fields jersey, which, I mean, it's basically worthless, but, I mean, it is the, it's the idea behind it, right? But listen to me. Why should my brother, who does not have the power of Jesus Christ living in him, who does not believe and trust the gospel, dare to ever be more charitable and outgiving than us? We should be running to people with an overflow. The world should not be outgiving the church. We have been changed by the gospel. Our hands should be open. We should be ready to share. The spirit at which we give is not one of reluctance or obedience where we're just like, yeah, I have to. It seems like that's the right thing to do inside the Christian church. Always want to talk about money, probably need to expand the church. Paul says himself, I'm doing this on your account. I want this for you. This is not for us. You've got to be reminded that this is for God. Jesus said, God said, he loves a cheerful giver. A cheerful giver. 1 Timothy 6 puts it this way. Are you rich in good works, generous and ready to share? Thus storing up treasure for yourself in the future. You see, it's an incredible investment. We get to sacrifice, and then we get it back, and so much more. Lastly, back to the text, verse 6. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also shared this at the beginning, but if you notice the words act of grace, act of grace, grace of God, I just want you to remember that, that this is something given by God. However, we should strive for this. There are some in the church, according to Romans 12, who have been given the gift of generosity. 
but all of us should see that just as we try and aim to excel in our Christian walk, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in love, we should be striving to be more godly givers. Have the opportunity to meet with many different men, disciple men, and you know, th these are frequent conversations that you have, men or women, typically inside the Christian community is, how are you doing reading your Bible? Right? Like, how, how is your time in the Word? Or are you in God's Word? Right? Or what, what's your prayer life like? like how, how is your prayer life right now? Or how are you serving God right now? I mean, we, we have no problem even asking, like, tell me about that sin. Like, how are you doing with that sin right now, as personal as it would possibly be? And, and yet we don't ask the question of our fellow believers, how are you doing with your giving? We don't do it. And I think the reason we don't do it, one of the reasons we don't do it is we've misinterpreted a passage in Matthew that talks about how we shouldn't let our left hand know what our right hand is doing. And really, if you get to the heart of the meaning of that text, it essentially boils down to, because he mentions prayer after that, you shouldn't pray in public. Well, of course we pray in public. Is You should not bring attention to yourself. It should not be something that exalts you. It should be you testifying to what God has done. That's the difference but we need to be challenging each other. If we are the most prosperous nation and the most prosperous people to ever live on the earth, and we are not asking the question of this with how important it is and how often Jesus speaks of it, we are not taking the full counsel of God. We aren't. We need to be asking each other, how is your giving because it validates the genuineness of our faith. So maybe you're, you're sitting there and you're thinking, and, and, and we'll start to turn, right? And you think, and ask yourself these questions, you know, how, how much did I give last year? You know, we're coming up at the end of the year. And one of the things that prompted this message is, I mean, there are so many needs around us. Letter upon letter upon letter. Email upon email upon email. Right? How do I discern which of these I give to? How do I determine which missionary I should support? How, how do we make those determinations? But I think God honors our obedience. Right? As we ask and we reflect, and God didn't prosper me to just raise my standard of living, right? God didn't bless you materially so you could lavish it upon yourself or myself. He wasn't like, you know what? I really want you to live a very comfortable life. Oh, oh no. It says, die to yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. You're called to death, not comfort. We are called to live a life of complete sacrifice to God.
how we conduct ourselves in regards to our money and possessions is a real barometer to the level that we have trusted in God's goodness and really understand the gospel. Verse 9 puts it this way, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that by his poverty you might be rich. We should be looking for ways to release these weights from us to bring others into the kingdom of God. Sure, this, this letter is written as a free will offering to those particular Christians, but we, we can look at this as a universal principle and practice. We can take this passage of Scripture and say, this applies to me. But remember, our motivation to give is not out of compulsion. It's not out of coercion. It's not out of guilt. We give because he first gave to us. This is an overflow of joy that wells up in a spring of generosity regardless of our circumstance. Whether we are the most impoverished person or we are the most prosperous person and every person in between. You see, we joyfully surrender ourselves to a greater person and a greater agenda than our own every single day. That is the Christian life, is a life of surrender, it's a life of sacrifice, it's a life of death to self. And we can't do it apart from the grace of God. So yes, tis the season to be giving. Don't forget the source of your giving is the grace of God, the gospel, the sacrifice in your giving is according to and beyond your means. The spirit of your giving, it's willing, it's eager, it's cheerful, and there's a striving in our giving that we strive to excel in this. We normally do action points. I have two for you. And they're really just questions that you should ask of your wife, husband, friend, but how is your giving? Or how is our giving? Like what, are, what are we supporting? How are we doing? What are we doing? And, and I, I have to say that if, if you are a member or you call Gospel Community Church your church family, and you find yourself in a situation where you are not giving back first and foremost to the local church, like this is above and beyond that, then you're probably living in disobedience. Right? That, that might be offensive, and that's, that's okay, but the scripture says like, you, you should be providing for and giving to your local church if you've made a commitment to that church. So lest those statistics have ramifications here. And by the way, the elders, I, I don't even know what anyone, it's for our own protection, we have no idea what each person gives inside the church. I have no, I don't even know if you do or you don't. I have no idea, and it's for our protection. 
But if you call Gospel Community Church home, we should have a conversation if you are not, haven't released any of your resources to furthering the kingdom of God here locally. Because it's a deeper conversation. And then secondly, we are called to support missions. I mean, we're, we're, we're called to release our resources and provide for those that are doing the work of the kingdom. So how, how is our giving and what is it that we're supporting and what can God do in this next year as it relates to our money and our possessions? Let's pray. Lord, it's uh, an incredible topic. It's one that we truly need your grace. We need the truth of your word. We need your Holy Spirit. And God, we are challenged as, as believers of Jesus Christ. We are challenged to live lives with open hands and open hearts, knowing that you paid the price, that you did bankrupt yourself so that we could be rich. God, I pray that it would be an encouragement and that you would, for those who are thinking as, as they leave, that it would just, these words would just fall from their ears and they would not reach their way from their head to their heart. God, would you beat back the spiritual force of darkness that would want to snatch a good word? And would you overcome our flesh and our apathy that we would take one step of obedience, that we would look more like you. God, our desire is to glorify you in all we do and all we say and all we have. And yet we don't possess that ability. It's only by the power of your Holy Spirit we know that apart from you we can do nothing. So I pray, God, that you would move powerfully that it wouldn't just be this Sunday, but the, the words from your scriptures would travel with us the rest of our life. Help it to be something used for your glory. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, hey, Lord willing, Ben will be back next week, and we will resume in First Peter. But thank you for your attention to this matter. It's a weighty matter, of course, but it's a worthy matter. And so the Bible says that we are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. So let your light shine that God may see your good works and give him glory.